Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 175, When the Iron is Hot. This week we're discussing season 3, episode 13 of Angel, Waiting in the Wings, and season 2, episode 16 of Battlestar Galactica, Sacrifice. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, <clears throat> starting with uh, Angel first, Waiting in the Wings. Um, very interesting episode. Um, I don't know if we didn't really plan any production notes or anything, but obviously um, this is notable for uh, for Summer Glau sort of showing up. Um uh, before Firefly, although not long before Firefly, so right. you know you can kind of presume that this was during development of Firefly, and one role I'm sure led to the other one. I'm not quite sure, you know, if, if this one came first, and then they kind of thought of her for that. Um, but uh, yeah, very cool to see her. Nice to see her her dance skills uh, on display. Um, I had heard about this episode, I think in reference to that, of, you know, n- knowing there's, there's an episode where Summer Glau, you know, dances ballet. Um, and I, I think I knew that she was a dancer because of the stuff that she did on Firefly. That, like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there's that one dancing scene during the main series, but then, um, especially in the movie, in um, Serenity, yeah. the way that her fight scenes are so intricately choreographed and you can tell it's her doing it that you can see it's clear shots of the actress it's not a stunt double so you know kind of highlighting the amazing flexibility and acrobatics that she has and everything um so it's kind of cool to see her you know in her natural environment sort of not just being kind of weirdly flexible but like really dancing proper choreography and like on point and doing all that you know cool stuff and I'm a I'm a big fan of uh dance so this is definitely uh kind of an episode that's up my alley yeah yeah so um I did look up uh I think when we were talking last week kind of after we were recording um I wasn't sure whether Angel came before Firefly, as far as like <clears throat> whatever. Um, so we are, we are, this is airing in 2002 at this point. So we're in February 2002. The first episode of Firefly airs in September 2002. So yeah, so we're just really a few months ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, given that this is airing in um, February, you know, it would have been filmed what late. 2001 i guess right so um definitely mm-hmm. uh angel came first this is her first real role um i want to say her first television at least credited role that um i believe although maybe i could be wrong about that maybe i i don't i i probably should have looked up that fact before i actually said anything <laughs> but i believe um i believe that may be the case and so um uh then based on on this you know role that she has here, um, yeah, Whedon did kind of tap her on the shoulder to uh, 
come join the Firefly cast. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, I don't know that we need to talk more about that per se, but very, mm-hmm. very cool um, to see kind of these little uh, crossovers. And not this is the first crossover of several that we will see in uh the buffy verse i won't say which show and who will see in it um although you may already know i don't know if i've mentioned it or if you may have already seen spoilers to that effect but um at least uh for now um although i'll note that this is i think the only one we get before Firefly airs, all the mm-hmm. other, uh, all the others come after mm-hmm. Firefly airs. So right, um, right, yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm sure I've seen references to them. I would have guesses as to who those cameos are, but I don't know for sure that I'm right about them. So we'll have to sort of, I'll wait and be surprised, sort of as they turn up. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, the, I mean, this one was the most memorable to me because of the dancing, I think, um, sort of sort of stuck out. Um, but I didn't really, obviously, try to avoid reading, like, you know, plot synopses, even if I don't always avoid, you know, ba- big spoilers. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I didn't know anything really about the episode other than that, that it features ballet. So, um, yeah, so it was kind of interested to see so I like but let's talk about it um so I want to start with the kind of setup of um the building romantic tension among the group um and it was interesting to see as we mentioned before we started recording how that is a theme of both episodes that you know kind of unrequited love and love triangles and mm-hmm. you know um love that kind of dies before it has a chance to really come to fruition all these things are like things that are very present in both episodes this week um so that was kind of funny uh so sure. so to start with uh angel's gang um angel and cordy uh We've been getting some buildup mm. to, you know, a relationship yeah. with them, um, which wasn't always, obviously it's been kind of subtle, you know, I think uh, it never really seemed from the beginning of the show that they were going to go that direction, you know, like I don't feel, I feel like this is like a fairly recent development, like really for the first two seasons, there's really not much you know, yeah. like well, and and also like when Doyle's there in the right, first season, that's where like, the right, yeah, that's where the feelings are is and, more and in then, that direction, yeah. <laughs> um, and then and, I, you, and you, you had Darla around and everything too, so right, and right, you, you had still that. had the pining for Buffy, the remnants of that sort of bled over. So it's like there were other and, relationships to keep you sort of distracted during that time. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think um, the other thing is like. Even though when when Wesley came in, like we know that like they kind of drop things pretty quickly mm-hmm. back in Sunnydale, but you know Wesley has changed a lot too. So like you couldn't. Right. I remember my first time watching this through, like 
until the whole thing with Fred came out, which mm-hmm. we obviously will talk about here tonight as well. Um, you know, until all of that, like I didn't, I didn't wholly throw out the idea that Cordy and Wesley might strike something up too. Right. Um, so, but yeah, like it's, it's not obvious at all <laughs> that Angel and Cordy are going to kind of be the ones and, but you do see it. And I think the interesting part is of course, that Connor is the sort of thing that yeah. draws them together. Right. Like, right. Um, even, even, you know, last week or, you know, two weeks ago or whatever, you had mentioned, uh, how they're all kind of like lying on the bed, like a little family almost, right. you know, at the end right. of the episode. And it's like, oh, oh yeah, that kind of is not really what's going on, but, but it is sort of kind of what's going on in a way. Um, right. So, yeah. Right. And as I think about it, it's like, all the things that have sort of sparked it have been things that didn't exist in the beginning of the show. They've been things that have like evolved. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, you know, the Cordy sort of growth has triggered by the visions, you know, and like, um, sure. her kind of, you know, like now I, I like that little part when Lauren is kind of singing her praises and kind of says like, well, she's a champion, like a real champion, like that she's become in a way as much of a champion as Angel has. And like she's become this really noble, heroic kind of superhero type figure. And that was obviously something that evolved over time and that she grew into. Um, And then, yeah, you add in, uh, you know, the addition of Connor, which is bringing out kind of their... um, like a familial bond, but like obviously not like, you know, brother sister, but like almost like they're parenting this this new baby, which only kind of draws them, you know, closer together. So, right. so if there are any sort of underlying feelings, they're going to come out as they're sort of bonding over, you know, this new baby and everything. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. But uh. It's not been totally clear up until this point that either of them have been particularly aware of these feelings. So it's really not until, um, you know, Lauren points out that Angel is sort of, he's reading his aura as he's, you know, humming to the baby that like, oh, all of his thoughts are about Cordy. Um, Sure. And Angel, you know, kind of denies it, but... You know, not for too long. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, his his thoughts sort of turn to, you know, what can I, what can I offer her? That kind of a thought of, you know, well, even if I do, you know, have these feelings, it couldn't really ever go anywhere. Which kind of betrays the fact that he might like it to go somewhere. It's just that. He thinks it can't. Right. And um, I mean, for good reason, like, right. You know, we know what happens when things go places right. with Angel. So, right. Um. Especially <laughs> when there are like deep feelings involved, you know, like, you know, not just, uh, you know, like, so the kind of 
stuff in this episode of when they start sort of acting out the, you know, the play of the old, you know, ghost couple and everything. Um, it's not just um, the kind of what they get up to physically, but for Angel, it's that feeling of pure happiness that's the right. real danger. You know, right. so it's not it's not kind of the hate sex that he had with Darla, you know, like that doesn't count. Right. So like this is like, right. this could be actual real feelings, which is even more dangerous. Right. Exactly. Right. We, we now have an example of it. It's not the quote happy moment <laughs> at the, you know, orgasmic conclusion um, right. of sex or whatever, but it's, it, it it's the contentment afterwards. It's the feeling of peacefulness and, and presumably, perhaps even more scarily, <laughs> you could have that without the sex, right? So, like, right. the lying on the bed with Cordy and your new baby, like, right? I mean, he, you know, we see how worried he gets over the money and stuff, so maybe it's not a, a real, you know, possibility in that particular moment, but, like, down the road, it could lead to something... Right. Where he does feel a certain level of contentment that, right. you know, ends up being dangerous. Well, Not and, just for him, but all involved. Right. And it's even more dangerous, like you said, because it's not something you can control in the same way that he can choose not to do something physically. But can you stop yourself from right. feeling certain ways? You know, that's more difficult. Yeah. Right. So I feel like... All the all the fun, uh, you know, jibes at Angel for like the brooding and whatnot. It's kind of like, you know, be glad that he broods. <laughs> like, right. Right. if he's brooding, then there's no danger of Angelus reappearing. <laughs> <coughs> right. It's it's his protection in a way, um, and I wonder, I wonder if he kind of cultivates it. Or if that's just naturally who he is, if he's sort of sure. a broody person, or whether there's a kind of self-preservation, you know, and some mix yeah. of both, you know. Yeah, but, it could um, be a little of each, right. Right, but but this sense like, of, like I he, can't maybe, ever get too content, too comfortable. You know, maybe he's sort of naturally inclined to brood, but like even, there's like an even a disincentive for him to not, not for him not to be brooding. Did mm-hmm. I say that right? It's a disincentive not for him to brood. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's no, like, like some people might be like, oh, you know, I need to work on my brooding. Like, if I notice I'm brooding, then I'll try to be happier kind of thing. Right. But like angels, like there's no reason for him to do that. Because right. if he tries to be happier, he's just going to go, you know, lose his soul and kill everyone. Right. So might as well brood and whatever, you know, comes of it, comes of it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, now that I've overstated that point. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah. So, yeah, with Cordy, um, well, so you mentioned I hadn't planned to talk about Cordy and Wesley, but since you kind of mentioned it earlier, we do get like a little moment of not that, not uh, the continuation of those feelings, but kind of acknowledgement of them of like, mm-hmm. and, and a little bit of wistfulness of Cordy, you know, being kind of nostalgic for when 
you know, um, she was, you know, the center of everyone's attention in that way and kind of saying, actually at a couple different points in this episode, she kind of, not really bitterly, but kind of just like, again, wistfully points out that like, oh yeah, I used to be this way and Wesley used to think I was the loveliest and, um, right. you know, and he kind of, she kind of says, you know, something similar about like, oh, how, um, you know, the world depends on it and you can't get Angel to, you know, make out with a hot girl and everything. And, you know, um, but again, the fact that that doesn't, that's not the way that everyone, it's not the only way that everyone sees her and that she's not really that bothered by it, again, is like a huge difference from where she was, you know, several years ago. Um, so, and, you know, and there are kind of jokes and stuff, but I don't, I even get less of a sense from Cordy of like consciousness about returning Angel's feelings. Like Angel kind of tries to deny it, but kind of admits it when, when Lauren points it out. Whereas like Cordy doesn't really, um, I don't know, like she points out when she thinks Angel looks hot or something. But she seems a little bit more, like, oblivious to there being kind of real, I don't know, tension there or something. Um, I don't know why. I'm trying to figure out why I think that. But I do. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know that I have a great answer. I guess... I mean, I like, when, when Angel says things, she, like, doesn't believe him. Like, you know, it, she's always surprised when he kind of, or misinterprets him of, like, well, I can't sure. just, you know, like, I can't, we can't just be kissing each other. And she's like, well, it's not that bad. Like, that kind of thing of of just the assumption that his thoughts yeah. aren't going in that direction, I guess. Well, and so maybe part of it is that, like, there's always been that other relationship, right? Like, if Angel has a type, it's not, you know, brunette. Sure. <laughs> and and not Cordy. Right. <laughs> right? And, I mean, going all the way back to season one, there was a physical attraction that Cordy had for Angel. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, when she first sees him and she goes after him and whatever, but... Angel never expressed any interest in her mm-hmm. whatsoever. And and even, like, ever since then, in the right. six years or so that they've known each other, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, so, so that might be part of it. It's just, like, that, that status quo of, like, Buffy's the one that he hangs everything on. And when it's not Buffy, it's Darla. And, mm-hmm. like, maybe it's just that belief of, like, she doesn't even fit in that picture anywhere. And right. not even, like, belief. Like, just, like, belief makes it sound like she sits around thinking about it. Like, I think it's just maybe one of those underlying things of just never occurred to her that, like, Angel might actually have feelings for right. her which right and that's what he I mean doesn't by, seem to yeah. have like conscious feelings either like until lauren point points it out right. <laughs> you know what i mean right. like 
he, not that he doesn't have them. He does, but it, they're not conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, at least as far as we know, and and so it seems. Right. No, and that's what I kind of meant by her kind of obliviousness of just her assumption being that, like, not even disbelief that there could be anything there, but but not yeah. something that she even really it ever occurs to her that there might be. And so, and so naturally whenever it comes up, she either brushes it off or dismisses it or misunderstands it completely. Mm -hmm. Um, so. Sure. You know, and I mean, by the time they're kind of getting into figuring out the mystery of the episode and everything, he's very hesitant to go through those motions. Whereas she's the one saying it's fine. It's fine. It's not really us. It's not, doesn't mean anything. It's not going to go anywhere. Don't worry about it. Um, Mm. so yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about Fred and Wesley and gun before we get into the ballet stuff. Um, sure. Cause we've also had some, uh, set up with them, um, more so set up with the rivalry between Gunn and Wesley, um, mm-hmm. less so, uh, for Fred because when Fred first got here, she was definitely, you know, uh, feeling the kind of loving hero worship for Angel, um, you know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where uh, her attention was until she realized that that wasn't going to happen and probably better for her that it never did anyway. Um, like she, right. you know, found out about all the Buffy and Darla stuff and all of his issues and baggage and everything. Um, yeah. And uh, so we haven't really had a sense since then of if she had started to like think about one of the other guys that way. Um, so you're kind of like not really thinking of it from her point of view um, until this episode when, you know, Cordy brings it up to kind of try to fish around for how she might feel about Wesley only to kind of ironically for the audience find out that uh, Fred's starting to feel the feelings for Gunn instead. Um so yeah, we have a bit of a love triangle there. I'm not sure there's much more to the setup than that. Um Yeah, I don't I mean, I think you're right. Like we've we've gotten very like we you know, and we've gotten it, it's always it's been humorous, right, between mm-hmm. Wesley and Gunn, you know, thus far, although I think this episode turns it less humorous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but you get like the you know, oh, you know, I'm I'm talking about the baby. Well, I'm talking about the hot mama. You know, like right, and right. that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, uh, when they're both kind of sighing Fred at the same time, and you know, uh, was it? Yeah, that was the last episode, right? When they're with with the woman who had the zombie boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, so. It is interesting because, like, we've gotten a few moments, like, you get a few moments of, like, you know, gun, gun kind of being the carefree, 
you know, loose kind of guy who just kind of like finds time to hang out with her. Whereas mm-hmm. Wesley's the more standoffish, you know, wait until the iron tot, you mm-hmm. know, kind of attitude. And and so you get you know, you get those moments that, that you have because Wesley's sort of standing off, he's just in the background and not there to be taken notice of. But then you have like Gunn, you know, being the one to say like things like, you know, oh oh Fred, you know you're beautiful or whatever like that. Like kind right. of, like kind of half jokingly, whatever, but it it does kind of make her stop and think. And so it's it's not a it's not quite as gradual as mm-hmm. You know, like you're saying, but but it is sort of like a oh, like there's these little things, and it's you know, again, like because Gunn's sort of saying him like offhandedly or se- or seemingly offhandedly, like it doesn't feel like he's like he's not like playing her or anything, like you know, it doesn't seem like he's gaming or you know doing whatever. But at the same time, it's just kind of like making her stop and think until she sort of realizes like oh, there is maybe something like feelings right. happening going on here. Right. Right. Um, right. And in a way, Gunn isn't gaming anybody at all. Like he's not playing a game in that way. Whereas like, I don't, I don't think Wesley's playing her either, but there is more of a sense of like deliberate, yeah. like planning on his part. Like of like, it's something he's thinking about a lot. He's talking to Cordy about it. He's, waiting to make his move, like you said, whereas, like, Gunn's feelings might be no less sincere, but he's not, he doesn't have, like, a plan. He's just sort of, you know, being himself and hanging around her and letting it sort of develop more naturally. So, um... And, you know, so we haven't really talked about triptych, soul triptych stuff in a while, and, like, (laughs) I don't know how we would, like... Mm adapt it like soul pentatic um or whatever here but like like you do get the sense that wesley is definitely that mind thoughtful Mm -hmm. you know aspect and and gun is definitely more the body you know Mm -hmm. just kind of i mean he's the fighter that's kind of his role on the team right is Mm -hmm. bust some heads and Mm-hmm. Whatever, whereas, you know, Wesley is the, you know, go pour of a bro. You know, but I feel like you have, like, then if you have, like, Angel's the heart, then, like, that kind of puts the two women as, like, sort of the in-between. So, like, maybe Cordy is, you know, a little heart, a little body. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, like, you have Fred, who's a little mind, and maybe a little heart or a little body or like, I'm not sure how it would all necessarily work out and maybe Mm -hmm. I'm trying to force it too much, but like you do get that sense of like, that's kind of, at least with Gunn and and Wesley, they're kind of taking those (laughs) fairly strict mind versus body roles of, you know. Well, it's almost like, I I, I almost even want to make it instead of, mind and body I almost want to make it like more abstract like thought and action or something because and I think sure I think Fred does synthesize that well because like we've talked about she's the theoretical physicist who also likes to build things right like so Mm -hmm. she has these 
these abstract, complex ideas, but she can also sort of engineer them into reality. Um, so, like, there is a kind of, like, nice halfway feeling about that. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to keep thinking about that and how they sort um, of all relate to each other. But yeah, just just even in this situation, though, I feel like that comes into play because you have, again, Wesley, and and maybe you're right. Like maybe the thought action is a better way to to think about it. But um, you have Wesley just kind of um, almost, yeah, just sort of sitting back and like trying to plan his attack, so to speak, mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas. Guns just jumping right in and mm-hmm. doing his thing. And not that, like, I mean, maybe the battle metaphor isn't, you know, shouldn't use that in this <laughs> case. But, like, like there is that sense of, like, that's that's also how they kind of fight. Like, Wesley is going to sit back and plan, you know, things out. Whereas Gun's just kind of going in with, well, gun guns blazing. Right. Um Right. So to speak. So, um, anyway. Yeah. So we do have this setup, And it all leads to sort of the situation of the week. Right. Did you want to talk about like their, I guess their individual conversations with Cordy too, or, um, um you mean, Wesley and Fred, I guess. Yes. Sorry. I wasn't clear there. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if I had anything else. I don't know that I had anything else in particular to point out. Um, yeah, I guess I just meant just that, like, like they each, they, they all sort of have a different perspective on what's going on in their different conversations. So you have like, right. Fred, who's sort of, you know, we find out is talking about Gunn, but Wesley's talking about her, and Cordy right. as well sort of misreads what's going on um, and right. sort of gives right. Wesley the wrong impression in doing so. And Right. No, there, and there's definitely that kind of, like, romantic comedy thing of <clears throat> um, mistaken understandings of things and... You know, like, oh, it doesn't, it never gets really farcical, but it kind of hints in that direction of, like, a part of the fun of, of it is the misunderstanding of who we're really talking about and who really, you know, has the feelings and everything. Although, like you said, like, by the end of the episode, it's not funny anymore. Um Yeah. yeah. So, meanwhile, so they all get dressed up to go, you know, and okay, so we have the kind of very nice uh, romantic setup of getting dressed up to go out to the ballet, too. So, yeah. like, everybody's feeling super ready for this to be, like, the big special night because they're all, like, in their fancy clothes and, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, with tags sticking out and, you know, trying to pretend that they're a little fancier than they are. Um, Well, and, and I mean, 
So in Gunn's favor is, you know, he's Mr. Tough Guy mm-hmm. who whose heart is softened by the beauty of the dance, right? Like, I right, mean, right. you know, what what woman doesn't want to see that? Right, sure. I mean, no, I'm well, sure there I mean, are some, but like, you sure, know. Sure, sure. No, it's fun to have it, the idea of like, the last person, the person who thinks that they hate it the most, be the one who's totally, you know, unashamedly won over by the end. Um, right. Which, I mean, kind of goes along with Angel, too. Like, the fact that Angel, like, gets so sort of giddy about the ballet and says, like, you know, I cried and I was evil. Like, I just imagine, like, evil and jealous (laughs) sobbing at the ballet, you know, and then going off and, like, you know, eating some some guys for dinner or something. Um, Right, right. um, But just, like, the, the... the ballet has such a reputation for this sort of stodgy, old-fashioned, you know, classicism, but that it has yeah. these sort of tough guys, you know, um, sort of weeping from the emotion right. of it. Right, so, like you would you would expect Wesley to be the one who enjoys it, but like... Right. Yeah, Angel, okay, he's from a different era, and like maybe we forget that from time to time, but like... Right. Like, you could almost say, like, okay, well, they didn't have TV back then, so sure, he probably took it in an opera or two. But then, like, right. yeah, it's like, you know, uh, a gun, Mr. Hardened, you know, uh, street rat, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, hard case guy, you know, who goes and, yeah, yeah. is completely skeptical, but then loses himself. And actually, like, now that I think about it, that's a very body thing to do, right? He gets caught mm. up in the emotion of it. Like, he's yeah. he's not thinking about it. He's not analyzing it. Right. Um, right. It's very, it's an he's honest able to, response to Yeah, live in the moment seeing. and kind of react to it. Yeah, like you said, honest. Right. So. Right. And, and, you know, even the, like, these guys are tight and I'm tripping out. Like, that kind of translation of... <laughs> right. The translation of okay, we have these feelings in common, we just express them differently. And so, like, you know, getting annoyed at Angel for using his slang, but then kind of realizing, oh, it's actually very appropriate. Like, that's exactly how I feel. Um, you know, so it that was pretty fun. Um, so the big question I have for you then is how do you think Gunn would react to Hamilton? <laughs> um, no anyway we don't need to go down that road that's that's cat's fanfic that will be on our site sometime i don't know in the future that'll be my my fanfic gun goes yeah. to see hamilton <laughs> crossover fanfic um i think he would love it of course it's high emotion and drama what's what's not to love um <laughs> yeah. Uh so where to go next? Okay, so the 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 ballet itself. So they kind of get all, you know, dressed up to go. Um one thing I wanted to kind of just touch on, I don't really know this ballet, Giselle, but um but I have Google. Um 
And, you know, Google tells me that... Uh, As do we all. Yeah. Like, so I don't have to know about something to speak about it. Um, <laughs> in, in this which, age, which is, that we, which is like the 2016 in Which a is the province... But I feel like that's the province of critics of all times. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, it's your job to have an opinion about something and, you know, um, whether or not you have an informed opinion. So, um, so anyway. Yeah, anyway. What? No, no, I'm not going to bring it up. Anyway. Uh Uh-oh. Move on. Um, all right. So anyway, the Google tells me, um... That I, I think Giselle seems to be an appropriately chosen ballet because it deals with some of these themes of um, love triangles that, you know, mm. so it says, uh, you know, Giselle, the, the main character, uh, dies of a broken heart after discovering her lover's betrothed to another. Um, and then this group of supernatural women who dance men to death sounds kind of like vengeance demons to me. Um, yeah, or, they, yeah, I mean, what's the, uh, once more with feeling, right? Like, sure, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Um, but with a specifically feminist twist, um, they, uh, sure, sure, they summon her from her grave and they go after her lover, but, um, but she has so much love for him that, you know, she doesn't let them dance, you know, kill him and she, her love for him frees him. So, which, yeah. sorry, totally no, got to take the tangent here because in in our production notes at the beginning, at the top of the hour, mm-hmm. uh, we we didn't even mention that this is written and directed by Joss Whedon, uh, as once more with feeling was. So oh, there is potentially that connection there as well, which right. it did like that never occurred to me, and I didn't I didn't know anything about Giselle and all of that, but. Um, there is that aspect too that this is a which may be a reason why this episode is one of the better <laughs> received sure. of the season um but yeah uh anyway i don't i didn't i i was gonna say i didn't mean to interrupt i did mean to interrupt you there because i want to make sure to state that but like you know speaking of like so you know here we have just to to have more examples of like you know Joss Whedon who is like Mister um, I'm gonna kill everyone that you love all the characters you love <laughs> and I'm gonna write all these pop shows but yet I love Shakespeare and mm-hmm. you know ballet and all of these things which isn't you know to say that like Shakespeare and ballet have death and mayhem as well but mm-hmm. um they're considered like more refined or whatever and so mm-hmm. so there is that sort of yeah. corollary as well yeah anyway yeah his mixing of different mediums and genres and periods of things and you know and in a way it kind of does the same thing that like gun getting excited about the you know, about the show and saying, you know, I'm tripping out is like, again, it just kind of puts it all together, you know, mm. which is what Hamilton does too. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like you can talk about, you can to, to talk about, um, vampire 
movies and Shakespeare and classical ballet and, you know, uh, musicals and hip hop and all these things, they don't have to be in separate worlds. They can coexist and they're all just different ways of telling stories and getting at emotions and all these things. And so I think Joss is like, you know, that seems to be very much his kind of big thing is with each new project, he kind of takes these different things that he loves and sort of mashes them up and tries mm-hmm. to kind of equalize everything. Sure. So, yeah. So, um, anyway, so yeah, I wanted to point out the, the crossover between like the story of Giselle there. Um, but then there's also the crossover between like, what we find out is going on with the ballet company, you know? Mm. So again, you have a love triangle between, you know, uh, this ballerina and her lover. And then this kind of jealous, you know, count owner of the company who, um, you know, uh, rather than reacting like Giselle and kind of, you know, being sad, but also, loving the person and wanting the best for them despite the fact that they don't get that person um the count is you know takes the other route and takes the kind of like if i can't have you no one can you know approach and you know so creates this kind of like echo bubble universe that sort of just floats through time and doesn't change that, you know, we find out that they've been doing not just doing the same production over and over for over a hundred years, but actually not even doing the production that they're just sort of rewatching a loop of the same performance every time, which is like even sadder. Like, you know, when, when Angel says like, well, you know, hold hold on, hold on. There was a year in college where I watched Billy Madison like every day. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> same exact performance day after sure. day. But that, but, <laughs> but, aha, difference. Is there a difference there for the uh, viewer of a performance and the performer? You know? Well, like, I can watch a movie no, a hundred good... times, but if an actor does a play a hundred times, right. if they're doing their job right, it's fresh each time. You know? It's yes. not just rote. There's a life to it. And that's the sad part is when Angel says, when she's like, oh, I'm always here. And he's like, well, you, you get to dance. At least you're dancing. And she's like, I don't even get to do that. You know, I, I just yeah. exist and I... watch myself do this. I, I don't I don't disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm also thinking of it too though. Like, why is this happening? You know. So I mean, we could probably get into some deep like male gaze type mm. you know discussion here. Mm-hmm. But this is all the magician, right? Like she's performing this same thing over and over, exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Not not of her own free will, but right. of you know, uh, the will of this magician who is keeping it all by ma- like, right. like this could have all been, uh, you know, solved if we just had an ac- anachronistically, you know, sent a Blu-ray disc player back 
with like the performance on it, right? Just right. just watch this a bunch of times and you'll get the same effect for him. Right. Obviously, though you're right, like for the actor, you know, the actor in a movie does it once or, you know, maybe a handful of takes and mm-hmm. and you know, for each scene and then their their part is done and mm-hmm. you can watch, you know, a million times if you want. But mm-hmm. um no, you you're right. For her, it's definitely uh that experience is different than you know just going out there and doing it like a normal person would where you would maybe forget a line or a step or you know make a mistake or do it better than you did the first time like maybe right. she would do it in a way that her ankle doesn't turn every time right um you know the wrong way and um and and I do find it like that it's interesting too like that she has her own sort of like like Obviously, she's just been doing this play over and over, mm-hmm. or, you know, this dance over and over, but, like, there's also, like, the step back and analyze, you know, things, mm-hmm. where she's like, he's actually not that, you know, critical. Like, he doesn't actually know mm-hmm. ballet that well if he doesn't right. even notice that, like, I turn the wrong way in this one spot every time. Right. Like, which implies that, like, He's also stuck, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's not just that, like, he's forcing them to be stuck, but there's maybe sort of a feedback loop going on here, too, where, like, he's not learning anything by right. watching this. Like, he's not, it's not changing him in any way. Right. Um, either. So, I, you know, I, I don't know what to do with all that necessarily, but, hmm. um, you know, I do think that from from his perspective, like, he is... He does seem to be trying to find that, um, yeah. you know, uh, 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 just just wanting to have it, you know, just perfect for him every time. And, right. Well, yeah. and I think, like, you could kind of make a little moral in this episode about that kind of, the dangers of that kind of, overthinking or overanalyzing without learning anything from it, you know, like, you know, cause you have, whether it's the count watching it or the ballerina watching herself, or you have her also like Wesley is, is someone who hesitated and she waited and she didn't go for what she wanted in the moment. She, she kind of thought, you know, better of it and held back and, you know, and has the regret of that now. And, but again, like you said, if, if all you're doing is obsessing over something and just sort of repeating it endlessly in your mind, are you really learning from that? You know, like overthinking isn't, overthinking isn't productive. Like that's why we call it overthinking. Like it doesn't get you anywhere. (laughs) Like it's just endless repetition and obsession within your own mind that doesn't produce anything new. It's just a sort of like, you know, something that you're stuck on, like you said. So, you know, again, like that's, there's a kind of nice echo there to, uh, to Wesley and, you know, um, the fact that he's been sort of, not that he needs to be more like, not that he should have been more like Gunn or anything like that, but that he is 
spending more time thinking about how to approach Fred than to actually approaching her and getting to know her and doing anything. And is his approach getting better because he's doing that? Not, like, really. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just sort of, you know, something he can't bring himself to to do yet. Um, So, but... So to kind of go forward to, like, the resolution, I guess, um, there's a kind of moment there where you think he's going to take the root of the Count, you know? Like, he sees Fred and Gunn together and kind of, like, goes back into the shadows. And then that's when he gets kind of possessed by the spirit of the jealous Count for a moment and then comes out and, like, is able to explain, like, the jealous rage of this evil wizard and everything and you're kind of starting to think like "Uh uh-oh is this like whether it's because he's possessed or whether it's just because this is his reaction like is he gonna be you know the the jealous one um but that's not what happens he you know kind of snaps himself out of it and during the fight he's saying to Fred and Gunn, like, you two stay together and I'll take care of this. Like, he's... Sure. He's allowing it, even if he's sad about it. He's not, like, immediately uh, in a jealous rage at Gunn or or angry at Fred. He sort of resigns or, himself or to it. Or if he is, he at least redirects it into a more... Right. Uh, you know, useful... <laughs> right. No, and and that's true. Direction. Like it's definitely it's not that he doesn't have emotions about those things and he definitely like says like killing things is not going to be a problem. Um but <laughs> at least in in this moment he's not taking it out on them. You know, mm. he's at least so far taking the Giselle route of you know, I might I might be sad, but I won't be bitter towards them. Um Sure. So, which shows that he does learn something in a way that, like, the Count never did. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so sorry. we should talk about Angel and Cordy a bit, too. Yeah. Um, so we get kind of a... Uh, not... Not quite a reprise, but like, uh, well, we certainly get a reference to Lover's Walk, right? Yes. Um, where Angel's like, I've, I've been possessed by the spirit of dead lovers before. Right. Doesn't go well, really, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't go well. Um, and it almost seems to be that way. I mean, there is a sense in which it is similar. Um, a lot, I mean... Maybe appropriately, because that was, like, when Buffy was in high school and stuff, and so they toned down the sex a little bit Mm -hmm. um, in that version. But, like, this is, like, like you have, like, Cordy's clothes coming off. Right, right. Yeah. um, Stuff with that. But, yeah, like, there's, you know, the added component of that wasn't a triangle, right? So this is... This is there's a triangle here going on where you, you have the lovers <laughs> trying to hide things and and of course they're not able to. Mm. Um, 
in the meantime, you have uh, Angel and Cordy, who aren't lovers, at least not yet, um, you know, but are potential lovers, <laughs> um, if we can use that term. Uh, and and it, you know, of course, causes lots of embarrassment and hijinks. Right. Um, but yeah, also brings sort of to the surface some of that stuff that we were talking about before that doesn't, that didn't, that wasn't on the surface, that was sort of mm-hmm. uh, underneath that, you know, Lauren could read in Angel's aura, but Angel himself didn't even necessarily recognize or realize. Right. Yet. right. Um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, maybe that's just obvious, and I don't know if there's a lot more to say about it, but just... Sure. By the end here, we've, we've, you know, brought all of this stuff to the surface. So, like, there sort of needs to be a reckoning of some mm-hmm. kind, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, to, to sort of think about it and figure out what, you know, what happens next. Right. Um, right. Although, in both cases, there really isn't a kind of reckoning. There's a kind of, like, failure well, to launch because... You have, you know, you have Fred and Dunn, you know, have a revelation, but Wesley, you know, obviously doesn't get what he wants and then kind of keeps it to himself. And Mm. then you've got Angel who's starting to tell Cordy, like, okay, this was more complicated than just figuring out this week's mystery when, uh, when Gru walks in and... You know, and and then, you know, she's kind of, uh, you know, all over him and everything. So, you know, there really isn't clean resolution for either of the storylines. They're sort of left in these kind of, you know, very sort of in-between, unsettled kind of places. Ah, yes. Grew. (laughs) Grew, uh, set, sets up a democracy and then becomes irrelevant. <laughs> Funny. Uh, as, as a dictator. Well, yeah. He could have just stayed on as like, like the queen. He could have just been a sort of figurehead, you know? Yeah. But it sounded like they kind of kicked him out, you know? Um, well, yeah. And... He's something of a champion too, right? Like, isn't that like the point of him is to like go around doing championy type things, right? Um, and so, what what better thing to do than to visit the world where you know he doesn't look like a cow, or well, he does look like a cow, but then right. so does everyone else, right? Right. Um, right. The world of the cows. Right. Right, and his. You know, his lover, who also is uh, a champion now herself. So mm-hmm. um, so it's kind of funny that for Cordy's triangle, all points of the triangle are these kind of champions. You know, like they're the ones that are sure. held to this kind of high heroic standard. Um, and you kind of get a sense that, like, whether that's like an unspoken rule, like they can only be with one of their own kind. Like, it's sort of like, because they're all these champions, that means they're right for each other in some way. Like, they must be sort of meant to be together. You know? 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, you kind of realize in retrospect that Gru was sort of set up by Lauren's earlier mention of Chiromption. Like, there's a little hint there that, you know, we're going to mm. revisit that that relationship and everything. Sure. Sure. Although it is, I mean, it's pretty subtle. <clears throat> oh, yeah, no, and I didn't and pick it up until, like... After I'd watched it, I think even after I'd like when I was doing my notes, it was sort of like, oh, there's a little red flag that I completely missed. I also enjoy Lauren singing about how he didn't get asked to go to the ballet. (laughs) (coughs) Of course, Lauren wants to go to the ballet. Why didn't they get him a ticket? I guess somebody has to stay with the baby. Yeah. And yeah, like Lauren's not really doing much to earn his keep at this point, right? This is true. This is true. Well, he still does his little aura readings, but they're kind of unasked for. <laughs> like he's not doing yeah. them. He's right. not doing them to benefit the group. He just sort of does them because he can't kind of can't help it. And people feel a little bit violated when he does it. So it's not like he's it's a service that he's providing, really. So, yeah, so now we have uh, Cordy and, and Gru. We've got uh, uh, Gunn and Fred. Mm-hmm. And uh, sort of Wesley and Angel are kind of on their on their own, mm-hmm. sort of jilted. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So yep. we'll... Uh, We'll have to we'll have to pick back up there when uh, when we do. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, I don't think but, I really have anything else, if unless you do. <clears throat> no, I don't think so. I think, uh, like I said, I mean, I think this is a relatively uh, favorite episode, but I don't mm-hmm. know that it's like. Like there are, you know, you do have the, the, the confluences of the different, you know, couple or, you know, triangles or whatever, but I don't know that it's like deep per se. It's like, you just have like these, these moving parts that are all sort of like moving together, but, um, yeah. Right. Right. Anyway. On to, um, another episode that also may not be too deep. (laughs) um um, but also involves some triangles and stuff um so uh as we talked about the development of you know the wesley gunn fred triangle Mm -hmm. um we've we've had this billy d and lee uh triangle forming now Mm -hmm. um for for a few episodes at least um I mean, longer than that for Billy and Dee, obviously, like, they go mm-hmm. back. They go way back. Um, yeah, to, like, the first, like, before the Cylons even hit, it's like right. he's getting a tour of Galactica and bumps into her in the bathroom. And that's, like, right. you know, so it's, like, one of the first, one of the earliest And he even makes reference to that, like, oh, you right. were, like, half naked when I right. first saw you. 
Right. Right. So it's like one of the earliest relationships that we really get. Um, yeah. Like in the show, like ever. Um, yeah. So. Um, which is why the lack of development bugs me. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. And that's fair. <clears throat> so I don't, I mean, I don't know how much we want to get into like non-diegetic stuff, mm. but I, I did read, I don't even remember where I read this, that the actor who plays Billy had wanted to go right. do other things. Right, right. And so it's so one of those. Part of, of we part didn't of really reason, mean for this to happen, yeah. Yeah, or like, hey, we were going to have someone die anyway, why not make it him and right. have this sort of love triangle thing. Um, or maybe they were going to have the love triangle anyway, and this just presented itself as an easy way to sort of resolve it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, kind of stinks when you're doing that because it's not really in service of the story. Mm-hmm. But um, that's one possible reason, mm-hmm. you know, why it feels a little thin. Uh, you know, just because they were kind of aiming for that, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um but yeah, so, you know, but we've had like, you know, we we saw D recently. At, it was the last episode, episode before, where, you know, she sort of confronts Lee and mm-hmm. is like, hey, is this thing going anywhere? And he's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. And then like almost has sex with Starbuck, but then she rejects him. And so now right. it's like they're like now he's like, OK, well, you know. And then I had, right. then he had I got, this fling with the prostitute. I've got this hooker you know. over on whatever, yeah, whatever ship she's on, yeah. Um, and and now it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll go back to D. So I don't. I mean, I think that's part of it too. Is that like, right? I mean, not that that doesn't happen in in real life with some people, but it's also kind of like it just seems way too easy. Like there's just no consequence to any of that stuff. Well, and I think what drives me nuts is that we don't see um i feel like there's scenes missing like Mm. i feel like there are missing link which sometimes it can be fun sometimes i like when there's like you're not quite sure how things came about and it kind of like frees you up to imagine and like you know if you're kind of inclined to the sort of fan speculation type thing you get to do that of like how do I Mm. think this relationship evolved and that can be kind of but like it doesn't feel stimulating to me in that way it just feels like like there's literally like scenes missing like like where's the scene where we get any sort of understanding of why Lee does go back to D yeah you know or where's the scene where Okay, we've seen that Dee is somewhat interested in Lee, but -hmm. we know that she's also somewhat interested in Billy. And we've seen that, okay, they have their issues. They, they, They clash over the kind of civilian versus military stuff that they kind of bicker over occasionally. But, like, that's been all along. And, like, what I want is the scene where Dee is making some sort of a choice here. Um, Like, I guess I just don't have a real good sense of what any of the characters really think or feel or want. And I feel like the episode... Except Billy. Except Billy, who's very straightforward. 
Um, right. And he's dead by the end of the episode. So that's kind of the end of his character development. So, and I just feel like I don't mind the plot of the, like, terrorist organization, but I feel like I'm given a kind of more conventional, like, oh, there's a terrorist plot. And in the meantime, there's all these characters who are making big life choices, and I don't know understand what why they're doing what they're doing. <laughs> right. And it's right, like right. I don't, I don't. It's not that I don't buy that she gets together with Lee. I just don't have any sense of why she does that. Um, mm. Or what is it now? Is it just that she? I mean, I just feel like any guesses I have are purely speculative. Um, yeah. Which is fine, but that's kind of, again, a little shallow. Like, it doesn't bother to delve deep into, you yeah. know, the characters and what they're sort of going through. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. And, and I like, you have a great point about the fact that, like, we definitely are missing, like, th- there's a link or two in the chain that are just not there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we go from, like... Like, Lee gives the I don't know what to tell you response to D giving that to Billy. Right. And so, like, the last we all knew of, like, any of these people is just, like, them shrugging their shoulders. Right. <laughs> so, so I don't, yeah, like, there's not, not a whole lot to really hang your hat on there. Because then all of a sudden, D's leaving... Uh, Billy to go meet Lee when it's like last we knew Lee had no interest. Right. And was banging a hooker. So. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And and Lee in particular and has like, had like three girls in as many episodes. And I think at yeah. this point I just start to get like Lee fatigue of like I can't I can't take his it's like too many episodes in a row of emo Lee with like a different girl each episode. Like I, I just I'm a little bored with it. Like yeah. we have other characters who are interesting who we haven't seen in like you know like when was the last time we had an episode in the hangar deck? Like I think this is where yeah, I get a sure. little frustrated with this run of episodes. It kind of for me it turns into like the Lee and Kara show a little bit. And um, um I just had a flash. Like you, you remember the the meme a while back of you know uh, sad Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> like I just had yeah. like a flat like a flash of like if that was Lee instead like right. emo Lee emo you know Lee. just kind of sitting on the bench yeah. looking at his sandwich right, right. or whatever what, whatever he was doing the, yeah like the sad black abyss as he floats away or something right um, and it's like again I'm not opposed to that being a, a thing it just <laughs> feels like it's many episodes in a row. That that's mm-hmm. been like the focus, and especially when, okay, we have D and Billy in this episode. These are other characters who we haven't spent that much time with. Here's an opportunity to get into them. We haven't ever really had like a a D and Billy episode, um, and yet somehow it becomes about Lee, um, and so you know without ever really, and then because Billy dies, that's the end of the. D and Billy relationship. So there's no more, this was like literally the last opportunity to really kind of get into it and develop it. Hmm. Yeah. 
All right, so we're done? Or, we're done. <laughs> well, and actually, I mean, I say that kind of jokingly, but, like, yeah, you're right. Like, we get a pretty straightforward plot here. So you have this Abinell chick, right? Uh, Sesha? Sasha? Sesha? With Sesha? the E, I think. Um, who, her husband died in, like, some Cylon attack or something, right? Mm-hmm. And then, like, now she's sort of gone crazy. So we talked a little bit um, before we started recording about how this is, like, the the other fringe, right? So we already got, like, the Cylon mm-hmm. sympathizer fringe. Right. And now this is, like, the other fringe. And so, like, the, so, you know, if, if we're talking, like, uh... <coughs> You know, going back to our trusty old Maslow's order of, you know, hierarchy of needs. Um, last week, you know, we had SCAR. So it was all about, like, the mining operation, mm-hmm. security, you know, being protected. Like, like we've taken care of that. We've got enough minerals now. Like, we're, we're back to, uh, you know, the fleet um, where, you know... Scars taken care of, but presumably there's no Cylon threat. So hey, why not threaten each other? Like, right? right. You know, this is, you, you know, uh, and again, like, you know, we even get the the little clip there of Adama and Boomer talking, or you know, Adama and Sharon talking about like, hey, remember when you said like maybe humanity didn't deserve to live? <laughs> like, this yeah. is this is. The week why, you know, we're going to we're going to tell you why that is here right. or, or exhibit for you why that is. Um, so you do kind of get the sense of like, like as the Cylons are not <clears throat> as impending of a threat, mm-hmm. you know, that there are. You have these sort of factions pulling the, the fleet in different ways Um eerily similar in how they sort of do it, like, you know, with propaganda and then sort of targeted violence, mm-hmm. um, but not ob- obviously for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, not, and not just different, but like polar opposite <laughs> reasons, right. like right. diametrically opposed reasons. But right. but the outcome is sort of the same here, yeah. um, where they're t- blaming the military and, you know, the government for these uh things that may or may not really be in their control. I mean, it it is in their control insofar as like yes, they do have Sharon and mm-hmm. you know or whatever, but also like you know, it's it's that it's that conspiracy theorist thing <laughs> of like oh, you know, you're you have this prisoner and so therefore you're somehow sympathizing with Cylons and you know when you should be killing them instead. And the reality is, well, no, we're using her to get information and, you know, she's actually providing good information. So we're going to keep doing that. (laughs) Um, But you can't tell that to someone who's sort of crazy because her husband was killed by Cylons. Right. Um, And not, not to say that that's, like, yeah, that would drive a lot of people crazy. Like, that's kind of a nor- it's a normal reaction to be crazy in mm-hmm. that circumstance, right? Like, not necessarily blaming her for that, but at the same time, Abinell, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, or, yeah, did I say that right? 
Um, you know, but you can blame her for the actions she takes, you know, mm-hmm. because of that, which is, you know, to hold people hostage for, you know, apparently to negotiate the the death of this Cylon. And it's like, okay, on the one hand, yes, but how how is what you're doing any better, right? Like, this, this is always the question that makes no sense to sensible people. And, right. you know, when it comes to terrorism and that kind of thing, it's like, how does, how does threatening other people, if, if your whole argument is that, you know, the military is causing undue death and injustice, how does causing undue death and injustice to other people, you know, help that? Right. And right. the answer is it doesn't, of right. course, but... Well, and yeah. this doesn't excuse or answer that, because obviously I think it's a question without a good answer. But, like, um, the one added kind of nuance to it is this. It's not just distrust of the military, and it's not even just the revenge against the Cylons, but there's this added fear of, like, what, you know, what she calls occupation. That, like, like what happened before is going to happen again of, you know, the whole thing started with, with the government and the military being infiltrated by these sleeper agents. And so the, the fear being that this is Sharon, that like, she's not just, you know, their intelligence and their prisoner, but that she is going to sort of poison them from the inside. And so it's a sort of drastic measure to, um, remove that threat, mm. which again, I'm not saying that justifies her actions, but I feel like that's like a different, maybe a slightly different spin on it than what we've seen before of just the kind of, um, you know, anti Cylon feeling or pro Cylon feeling or whatever, but this kind mm. of like fear of, of another invasion and another sort of corruption of, you know, the authority figures from within and everything. Sure. So, um, you know, the, the situation's pretty basic. They come into the cloud nine lounge, they take it over, you know, Lee tries to, do tricks with the, you know, carbon dioxide coming from the uh, uh, dry ice and mm-hmm. Ellen's drink. Um, I don't know that we need to go step by step through it. Um, yeah. You get Starbucks trying to come in and and save the day, and she just ends up getting a bunch of people shot. Right. Um, Literally, my note here is all the people get shot. Um, Lee yeah. gets shot. Um, By Starbucks. Right. Um, is Billy shot then, or is it later? I think it's later. It's later, it's right? It's like in yeah. the final sort of firefight, yeah. Right, right, right. Right, so... so that's not bad enough, you know, like one of the Marines or a couple of the Marines get shot. One of them's killed. Um, 
<clears throat> and then, you know, they they come in again and um well, you know, first they send in the old boomer body, right? Mm-hmm. To try to uh fake him out and mm-hmm. then you know, come in, there's another firefight, and that's when, when Billy gets shot. And, you know, I don't I mean it's kind of a basic basic hostage scenario and there's all the back and forth that you get and negotiations and mm-hmm. Adama rushes in with you know and orders the medic to his son first of course mm-hmm. um which doesn't help maybe the military the perception of the military <laughs> you right. know of like right on the and other hand Adama's, I mean he is shot Adama's like, favoritism yeah yeah um right So, yeah, I don't, I mean, kind of stepped through it there a bit, but I don't know that there's a lot to talk about in that. Um, more so, though, the resolution there, which is for our triangle, of course, that, hey, it's not a triangle anymore. Now right. it's just Lee and D, and they're sort of free to explore with maybe the guilt overhanging their head of Billy's death. But, mm-hmm. you know, who knows how long that'll hang over their head. Right. Um uh and again we can discuss whether it's actual story reasons why he gets killed or whether it's you know external reasons but right. um you know from at least within the story um that has implications cuz like we do see mm-hmm. Billy sort of stepping up early in the episode like mm-hmm. you know he he sort of steps up to Adama and and Roslyn praises him for that and right um he feels foolish, but like certainly tells D what he's thinking, and so yeah. so you see a stronger Billy here, mm-hmm. at least in the <clears> last <throat> moments before his death, than you know we had gotten previously, where he's sort of you, even in talking with D in this episode, he's still kind of you know wishy washy. He's like, oh well, you know it's the only ring I have, and mm-hmm. you know whatever when when he asks her to marry him, but. Definitely, in a lot of ways, has has become more confident, more uh, outspoken, and mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, well, and I think of when was it Adama who said that Rosalind thought he would be president one day. So there's like this kind of mm. like, you know, I mean, a couple things there. One, it leaves it leaves Rosalind without her closest sort of political ally, you know, and maybe a clear if not next in line successor, at least like a kind of her protege, like somebody who might've carried on like the Roslyn sort of principles, you know, like Mm. he's now out of that situation. Um, And it also gives you this idea of like the, the, the young hope for the future. Like, you know, he's like maybe one of the most kind of just straightforwardly sort of innocent characters that there are. So that, of course, he's, like, the first one to go. <laughs> like, you know, like, of, like, the main characters, yeah. anyway. That, that, but also, if you think about, like, gr- you know, if you think about, <laughs> I'm trying not to think about politics today. We're recording this on election day. <laughs> so trying not to think about politics as much yeah. as we can. But if you do want to think about politics for a minute, I mean, he's the aide to the president. Mm-hmm. And that's people in that position tend to go on to do political stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, maybe even become president someday, or if not become president, you know, some other aspect of, you know, political 
life. And so that's the normal way, right? Like Rosalind's the outlier here. She's the one who was 43rd or whatever in line and never had a chance of becoming president until the Cylons attacked. Right. Um, And never, like, was kind of prepared to go off and do her thing um, until Adar, like, tried to force her to leave, and then she was like, no, suddenly I want it back, which is exactly what Baltar did as well. But anyway, uh, that's all neither here nor there. Uh, It's also, so, (laughs) another another aside, (laughs) sorry. Uh, We do learn from Adama that Roslyn saw Billy as being not just, like, presidential material, but as, like, another Adar. Mm. Oh, that's right. Which, yeah. Which is, which is interesting, given mm. her relationship that we learn after that about Adar. Yeah, right. I'm just throwing that out there. Right. I don't, I'm not, yeah. I don't mean to imply anything. That's true. I'm just saying it's that's an interesting point. I do remember thought. that, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, you do have someone though here who is who is clearly sort of being groomed in one sense to be an up and comer in the political mm-hmm. machine. Mm-hmm. You know, as small and wounded as that machine may be at this point, you know, he seems to be it might be years, but like that's okay. Like it takes years for that to happen. Like people start out right. small and they start out as aides and Right. work their way into, you know, becoming more important aides <laughs> and then, you know, maybe holding office, a small office, you know, themselves and then, you know, move into a position where, you know, maybe they can, you know, maybe he would get voted to the quorum <clears throat> or whatever yeah. they're called, you know, um, at some point and then, you know, be up for presidency and and all of that. And like you can sort of see that like that seems a very natural path for Billy. And this mm-hmm. is his time in which he's learning all the things, right? He's mm-hmm. learning and seeing Rosalind go through them. He's kind of learning to find his own voice and speak up, mm-hmm. you know, to Adama and, um, you know, all of that. But, of course, that doesn't end up happening. Right. So. Um, well, and he's also, which is something I kind of more want to keep, like you said. So, like, whether or not this episode is all that well executed. It definitely, the events have repercussions for the future. Um, And like something to kind of, I want to talk about more a little bit later um, is um, the way in which Billy has been up until this point, not just Rosalind's aid, but kind of her voice of conscience. Like, He's been mm. the one, whenever she does something a little shady, he's he's the only one who kind of, like, will point it out or even tell her flat out that he disagrees with it or doesn't support it. Like, even if he supports her in general, like, he's the one saying, like, this is wrong and you shouldn't do it. Or mm. I'm not going to go with you. You're like... I'll let you escape from the brig, but I'm not going to go with you or whatever it is. Like he's been this kind of voice of sort of keeping her honest so far. So, 
again, he kind of, for me, represents all of these kind of more, I don't know, idealistic notions of what the what the political machine has been on the show so far. So to have him be the one to go is kind of has interesting implications for, you know, mm. the whole makeup of, you know, of the philosophy of it and everything. Cause it's really very much dependent on like what the characters believe and do and everything. So when you kind of remove one, it changes the way that the whole thing works. Um, sure. So yeah, like I don't even necessarily wish that he hadn't died here. I think I just wish that his exit had been a little more carefully developed um, and he'd been given more time to really, um, you know, I don't know, get to flourish a bit more or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, and yeah, I agree that, like, it's not so much about his his dying, per se, as the sort of, yeah, thinness around all of that. So, I don't know. So, yeah. So, yeah, we end with... Uh, with D and Lee kind of, I almost want to say together by default, like, which again, that's presumptive, but I think it's because we don't know what they really want, that it's hard to say, is this what they really wanted or not? But it does kind of seem like, okay, the third wheel of the triangle got removed. And so I guess they're, you know, together now. Um, yeah. You know, and you have her, um, you know, being there by his bedside when he when he wakes up and everything. Um, sure. With Kara sort of, you know, spying them through the through the curtain, um, sort of guiltily. <laughs> um, which makes her okay so now it's still a triangle it's just there's a spoke in a different direction than Billy um, <laughs> right. right I guess before it was more of a rhombus sure <laughs> um, I mean kind of yeah but like yeah I don't know it, it's hard to say with Starbucks Right. Well, it's hard to say with any of them, really, at this point. Right. Right. Which, again, to be a little more positive, maybe that's kind of the point. Like, as the fleet is sort of, like you said, in the absence of direct threat, you know, the Cylons have yeah. backed off majorly in the last few episodes. And it's sort of like when you remove that unifying threat, things start to fall apart a little bit, both on a, on the macro scale and on between relationships and characters and even really knowing what they're doing or what they want or who they're with or whatever. Um, yeah. And so there's this kind of sense of both for the group and for the individuals, the fleet kind of 
losing its way a little bit and sort of drifting around rather aimlessly um, yeah. or turning on each other and creating creating conflict where there maybe doesn't need to be any. Mm. Yeah, so speaking of, like, the Cylons not attacking in a while, like, I mean, we had, like, Scar. Right. And, like, he had some, he had some help from, like, <clears throat> some other raiders and stuff. But, like, yeah, we don't, like, there aren't any, ba- like, they're not calling in the base stars right. here. Um, and we, I mean, part of that's because together, you know, the Galactica and the Pegasus had sort of a major victory, mm-hmm. right, in destroying the the resurrection ship and, you know, sort of taking apart, you know, I we don't know how big the Cylon fleet is overall, but certainly that they scored a pretty good hit against them, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, in that, um, and you know, the fact that the resurrection ship was taken out means now that any Cylons who are killed in the vicinity, whatever that vicinity, we don't know how far that thing reaches, right? But yeah, like we know that there's not another one close enough <clears throat> by, you know, to be useful at right. least at this point. Um. You know, so maybe that's also part of the reason. Like, maybe, you know, hey, if you can just resurrect yourself, like, then sure, why not go attack? But, like, if you can die just as easily as someone else. But by dying, I mean your particular version of the consciousness, not even, like, like, because we don't know... We don't know yet how many models there are. Right, like they have, we haven't gotten to that point in the series where we actually know. I think, um, or have we? I think maybe number six has said at this point that there are twelve models, but okay. But maybe only Baltar knows that. Okay, and we don't know. We only know so many of them. We don't know who the rest right, right. are. Obviously. Well, we only know so many models, but there's also like only so many personalities of each model, right? Like, so, so you had like Boomer and Sharon and those were sort of distinct personalities Mm -hmm. for whatever number model she is. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't know like how many of those that there are, like how many of those personalities there are. And so like, presumably, Mm -hmm. you know, if the resurrection ship was still around, they would just, you know, continue to like go into a new body and whatever. But there was a limited maybe number of personalities. I mean, maybe more could be made and like new personalities could be brought in or duplicated or whatever. Um, But we don't know how many of those there are, but like certainly now, Mm -hmm. like those are, those are limited to whatever there are. Like there are no more bodies to go into. So right. not even counting the mechanical ones, which we don't know if they resurrected in the same way the ships did, but we don't know, but they were kind of still, they had like a biological element. We don't right, know if right. that's true of like the right. mechanical Cylons. Um, right. Uh, yeah. So I guess I'm just kind of getting at like, like there's a limited number of, 
personalities out there too. Like, even though like the model, presumably there could be millions of copies of models or billions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know how many actual distinct personalities that they cover. See, that's, so that's interesting. Cause I don't know that I ever interpreted it that way before. Um, and maybe it's something we need to think about as we learn more about them and they kind mm-hmm. of reveal more because my understanding was always that you have a model. So like, let's say number six is a model and basic, there's a basic default personality set of personality traits for number six. Um, And they might kind of default to whatever, you know, when we see sort of a generic number six, maybe that's the kind of default mode for that. But that an individual could, for whatever reason, take on distinct personality traits. So, like, you know, Gina, the prisoner six, Mm -hmm. wears her hair a certain way and thinks about things a certain way, maybe partly by choice, but partly because of what she's experienced. And that that makes her... You know, so she has those default six traits and yet becomes individualized based on her circumstances. And right. that if you have, you know, a billion but we know sixes. That, so, 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 like, I agree with you, like, from the start that that's probably true. Mm-hmm. Like, like, so, you know, day one, first model six comes off the production line. Right. Like, yes. And like. Maybe there's a million of those that come off the production line. But then Gina, Mm -hmm. before the resurrection ship gets blown up, Gina would get reincarnated into one of those bodies. Right. Like they're not. Right. And so, and so that new new Cylon would have all of Gina's memories and presumably experiences and attitudes that she's taken on on top of the base Sure, but there's still only one Gina, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, they're not making... They're not copying many duplicates of different Gina's running around. It's like her her personality is associated with her mind and her... And I'm saying we we don't know how many of those distinct personalities there are. Sure. Within the model. Sure. That's all I'm saying. Sure. I guess my thing would be that there are potentially infinite. That as many many silence as you can make and as many of them can have experiences that shape a new personality. That's not how they were using them because they were holding, at least as far as we saw, they were holding a vast majority of Cylon bodies in array without sending them out as distinct personalities. They were being held as bodies for the distinct personalities to be reincarnated into in right. the resurrection ship. But I don't think they're linked to a particular personality. Do you like, I think it's, it's a, it's a blank number six. And if, yeah, if no, number I'm not six saying they gets are killed, she goes in and then she's that, she's that right. person. I'm not saying they are. Oh, okay. I'm just saying that that you have like say there's a closet full of suits. Mm-hmm. 
and they're, you know, one size fits all. So whoever wants to can go in and get one. Right. Like I can go in and get my new suit and then I spill spaghetti on it and go in and get another one. Right. Like that's, that's fine. Right. Like it doesn't matter what the suit is that I'm getting. Right. I'm not saying that, but like, but there's a, there's still a finite pool of distinct personality. So there's Gina, there's, you know, the original six, mm-hmm. which who, who may have reincarnated. We don't mm-hmm. know. Cause mm-hmm. like that. Right. Right, Shit we haven't seen her since then. Right, uh, right. There was Shelly, right? Right. Who, right. whatever, you know. Right, right. Baltar's, uh, yeah. So, like, those are three of them. Mm-hmm. And there may be, yeah, there may be a million other ones who are distinct, right? Because there was one on Caprica, right? Like, mm-hmm. who was with Sharon, you know, who was sort of watching over Sharon and right. and Hilo and that, whatever. So, like, there were there are certainly other... Mm-hmm. ones out there mm-hmm. but i'm saying we don't know like like that there's a limited finite number of those we don't know how many i mean potentially they could be making more yes we don't know that mm-hmm. though and and the way that they were using the resurrection ship was to host the way it seemed like they were using it i guess mm-hmm. we don't really know mm-hmm. but like there were there were way fewer actual number six is out there doing stuff like with their own distinct personalities sure. than there were in the resurrection ship. Right. So it's, right. so they were just holding like banks of bodies right. Right. in the resurrection ship so that in case Gina or Shelly or right. head six or, you know, whatever her name was before she was head six, yeah. uh, you know, died, they would go into one of those bodies. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Like, that could have happened multiple right. times. Right, as many... As, as apparently happened with Scar, right? Like, right. that's that's the thing. Like, like these resurrection ships didn't hold just, you know, anthropomorphic Cylons, but, mm-hmm. but also, you know, the ships and that kind of thing, too. And so, you know, maybe there's only, like, a hundred Cylon Raiders... Mm-hmm. And we just keep running into the same ones same over and hundred. over. Right, right, right. You know, right. I mean, you know, okay, maybe there's a thousand or something, but you know, I, I don't care like the magnitude. I'm just saying like there's some number and it's limited. Mm-hmm. And yes, maybe they can make more, <laughs> but again, like we don't, we just don't know what that number is, and we don't know their production facilities. So, right, I, yeah, I don't. I'm right. just throwing that out there. I don't necessarily have. Like, this isn't something I've been thinking about. It's something that literally just sort of crossed my mind as we were <laughs> Well, talking, no, so. and I, st- I feel like we still don't, we still at this point really don't know that much about the Cylons and what, how they work and why they do what they do and everything. Um, so, yeah, I think it's something we can keep discussing as we learn more. Indeed. Um, I mean, I'm okay with ending early. I don't know that. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't have a lot to say. There's a huge amount. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Well, so next week we'll we'll be back with some more BSG, obviously. Um, and then we've got um, two weeks, I believe it is, of Buffy in a row. Um, so. Uh, we'll uh, we'll be back to talk about those things next week. 
Sounds good. See you then.